still plenty more. John Michael Lyles will join us. Former Leaf and Avalanche. Man, are they hot. Are they ever? 10 in a row, 18 in a row at home, they haven't lost. The old question, though, what's the goaltending going to be like in Colorado? Yep. For that and more, let's go to Kevin Woodley. He joins us now. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, guys. I'm really good. How are you? We're good. Uh, just uh, why don't we start with the Leafs? I, I know I just mentioned the Avs, and uh, we're going to go maybe around the league a little bit with you. Um, but good. You know, the hot-button topic here with the Leafs is uh, that Jack Campbell has come down to earth, and there's there's no question that uh, to, to be able to sustain the level that he had for the first half of the season, um, I don't think anybody expected that, but the numbers have come down uh, dramatically. So maybe just a, an overall thought from you first on that. Well, it's funny because the caveat I threw out there at the end of last season was his adjusted numbers. And when I talk about that, I've, I'm lucky to have access to clear site analytics, sort of look under the hood at, at you know, their, their shot quality measurements. And in my mind, they do the best job of sort of weighting goaltender environments and, you know, providing context to, you know, goaltending never exists in a vacuum. Like what kind of quality are they facing and sort of weighting that. And last year, despite some incredible raw numbers, like Jack Campbell's adjusted numbers were, you know, in the thirties in the league, like he was still above expected. He was still doing a, a good job behind a team that was good defensively. But sometimes, as you know, Nick, like that's not always easy to play behind for some goalies. You know, not being busy can be a real challenge in different ways. Like they'd rather see some shots, especially the easy shots, the the 99 percenters, as I call them, you know, the shots from the blue line that a lot of coaches still love, you know, shots, never a bad idea, but there's a lot where it's like, you're just warming up the other goalie. And, you know, the Leafs were a team that as they got better defensively, you know, as much as you would normally say like, Hey, better defense is good for a goaltender. There's different challenges. And so, yeah, his adjusted numbers were 30th. I think they were 33rd in the league. They didn't jump off the page the way his raw numbers did, but you still had to give him credit for performing behind that environment and, and not having any trouble when he wasn't busy, not losing his focus on nights where there weren't a lot of shots. Those are real skills. Um, this year at the beginning, you know, they leaned a lot more heavily on him, and he was outstanding. Like, as much as I, you know, threw out that caveat at the end of last year about his numbers, like, his numbers at the start this year through the first third of the season were, like, you know, he was warranted to be in the Vesna conversation. He was among the top five in the league in adjusted save percentage. And so, yeah, as that's come back down to earth, like, I've seen some of the reactions, and I, I, I can't help but wonder if that's, you know, historically speaking, that's more the norm. And that's not a criticism of Jack Campbell. It's just as you said at the beginning – you know, he was playing at such a high level. And interestingly enough, when they were giving up more, he was playing at such a high level. He was bailing them out um, on some of the high-danger chances. And as they've tightened up um, and not given up as many of those, up until the last couple of weeks, because they're up again. But he's sort of struggled to sort of maintain that form that we saw early in the season. And so I'm not sure how you can be shocked by it if that's sort of where his career has been. Um even last year when the raw numbers were great, like the adjusted numbers didn't jump off the page the same way. So that he's come back down to earth shouldn't be a shock, but he's still like, he still grades out, you know, sort of 15th, 16th in the league. It's not like this is terrible by any measure at this point. It's just not the standard he set early this season. And so the question becomes what, what was more realistic and can you live with this level uh, for a team with Stanley cup aspirations? Uh, Kevin, before we tour a bit, uh, let's talk about Peter Morazic. Last you know, year, because of the way the schedule was, didn't see enough of other divisions, right, you know, following the Leafs. I, I find a lot of it is you have to get used to a goaltender style as well when you're not used to seeing him night in, night out. So what is a Peter Morazic in your books? Well, it's kind of changed uh, a little bit over, over, the, over the, you know, the past couple of seasons. And to me, um, you know, I saw some patterns in his game sort of with and without what I'd call a modern goaltending coach. I, frankly, I haven't seen enough of him in Toronto to sort of, you know, have a good opinion on it. But three years ago in Carolina, uh, I saw some improvements. Then two years in Car- ago in Carolina, they kind of, you know, they, they kind of let the goaltending coach position drift a little bit. They, they hired a friend of the head coach as opposed to a guy who I would say is a real modern 
technical goalie coach. Um, the goalies themselves pretty much determined what work they wanted to do. And I saw him get back to a little more erratic, a little more drift in his game, uh, a little more you know, aggression, reliance on rhythm and timing, a little more wasted movement. And then last year, I thought he reined it in. And again, his adjusted numbers in a small sample jumped off the page. Um, as there was a goalie coaching changer, I, I, I thought I saw him rein in some of the technical aspects. And I would have expected that to continue in Toronto. Like I said, I just haven't seen enough. There's always going to be, uh, and, and I don't mean seen enough in a, in a negative way. I mean, I just haven't seen enough overall, like full disclosure. I haven't watched enough, gotten a chance to see enough of his games to really judge it. But I would have expected more sort of reining in. Like Mrazek has a ton of natural skill, but he also has a tendency at times, especially early in his career, to just rely on it too much, to take ice when he doesn't need to take ice outside of the crease and give himself no margin for error on recoveries, on broken plays, um, on those types of chances. And so he also didn't have a lot of rotation in his movement. So when he was up at the top of the crease, especially to the blocker side, his pushes to recover across didn't come back to the post. They, they didn't have enough rotation back. He would find himself pushing across, but still somewhat aggressively. And so you sort of lose your net, you lose your post, and again, you just play with such little margin for error. And I thought I saw signs of all those things being reined in in, in Carolina last year and real positive trends. Um, and I still think, like when you look at the skill, that there's still a goalie there that, you know, if you could just stabilize that foundation a little bit, that's where the consistency comes from. Because nobody's ever denied the ability to make the higher highlight reel saves, the athletic skill, the explosiveness. It's sort of improving that foundation and, and making it a little more reliable, a little more consistent, that's always been the challenge. And it's kind of come and gone throughout his career. And I'm kind of curious to see as he gets the net more and hopefully can stay healthy longer, whether we see signs of that upticking again in Toronto. Because I believe in the goalie coach they have there, and I know that those are things he would identify as well and try to work to correct. We're speaking with Kevin Woodley, writer with the NHL.com and Ingle Magazine. Uh, interesting choice of words as he gets the net more. When they signed Mrazek, Kevin, there was a real thought that this was going to be a 1-1-A, one, a one and who knew where, if all things being uh, perfect, where the split was going to be. Jack runs like a house on fire in the first half of the season, and now has slipped a little bit. Is this enough for Mrazek to get in there and possibly even wrestle the net away from him? Or has Jack done too much? And is the school of thought is we should get Jack in sooner than later to, to, to get some of that magic back? Or is it, no, Jack needs to earn the net back now. You know, I think like it's, it's professional sports, right? Like he's, I don't know that it's need to earn the net back, but the other guy gets more opportunity. And if he runs with it, then maybe that conversation happens. Like, I just think that, yeah, you look at the schedule, especially like we may have sort of bought a window to make up games um, during what would have been the Olympic break. But the schedule coming out of the Olympic break hasn't changed. And that was always going to be nightmare fuel for the goaltending community. That was always going to be a time when you need both. And so I think your goal as a team isn't necessarily to try and make these decisions. Your goal is that you're going to need both down that stretch so find a nice balance in the schedule. You can't, like, running one guy out there too often probably hurts you come playoff time anyways. And so you're probably going to need both, play them both more, and ultimately performance will dictate. Like, I don't think, you know, if Peter Morazic goes on, and he's capable of heaters, if he goes on a second-half heater where he looks like a Vesna candidate for half a season, of course you're going to give that to him. I just think that no matter what, you're going to need both down the stretch, and ultimately their performance in those opportunities will dictate who gets the net in the playoffs. Because if Peter gets on one of those runs, you're not going to keep him out of the net for game one just because of what Jack's done in the past. It will ultimately come down to how each of them plays in the opportunities that they get. And as the season goes on and we get later, ultimately have to earn down the stretch. So, Kevin, I thought it was interesting. Everyone's good buddy, Bruce Boudreau, last night. He gets Yaroslav Halak playing great for him in Vancouver. The, the goaltender that killed him 12 years ago in a playoff series with that great Washington Capital team when Halak was in Montreal. So, point being, you know, you got to have the goaltender if you're going to win a Stanley Cup. So, whether it's Colorado, whether it's Washington, um, Edmonton, whatever, there aren't a lot of big 
goaltender trades made around trade deadline, but which teams do you think should really be looking at angling one if, for one if they want to go to the promised land? Well, I think they're different conversations um, just based on where the team is at. Like, I think we all know, like, it's no secret that Edmonton probably would look to upgrade their goaltending, right? Like, that, that's not a secret at this point. But the reality for the Oilers in terms of what they are, like, is it an upgrade to get you in? Or is it an upgrade to make you a contender? Because I think when I look at them defensively especially, like their profile in terms of what they give up, it's very middling. It's bottom, you know, it's it's not even quite middle of the pack. It's sort of, you know, in that sort of messy 18 to 20 range in terms of defensively. And some of the metrics I look at there are very strong. They've become over the past three seasons incredibly strong indicators of playoff success. The teams that do this well have success in the playoffs. And when you're that type of team, you know, like there are very few goaltenders that can lift you from that type of defensive play into contender status. Like it's a real short list. Now, what makes all this interesting is one of the names on that list might be available in Marc-Andre Fleury. Like when we look at Vegas last year, they had a similar profile as good as they were overall as a team especially the chances that matter most, the five-on-five, high-percentage, high-danger chances, as they're called. They gave up a ton, and Flurry erased a lot of them. You go back to the first four games of that Minnesota Wild Series, Vegas doesn't even get out of the first round without Flurry in those four games. He was brilliant. And so when I look at Edmonton, part of me looks at it and be like, I don't know the goaltending fixes this. And yet one of the goaltenders being mentioned might just be able to fix it and get you on a bit of a playoff run, especially starting in a Pacific division that doesn't, you know, outside of Vegas doesn't have a lot of juggernauts. So, um, you know, and and I kind of, I guess, would apply the same thing. Like Washington's the other end. They've got the aging sort of forwards with all that talent up front, want one more shot at the cup. And yet defensively under Peter Laviolette, they've been really good. Like all those metrics I talked about, they check those boxes and Ilya Samsonov, for whatever reason, sometimes it's injury, sometimes it's illness, a lot of times it's just inconsistency, hasn't been able to grab the reins and become their Igor Shishterka, their Ilya Sorokin. It just hasn't panned out. Um, Vitek Vanacek is giving you good, just above expected goaltending. So, you know, in a good environment, he's been good. But it hasn't been sort of that next level top 10 great we kind of associate with you know, cup winners, like, he, you know, he's not going toe-to-toe with Andre Vasilevsky. So not surprised to hear that they might be in the mix as well. Um, either one of those teams. The, the question with me and with Washington is, like, Marc-Andre Fleury has been so good for so long when he's behind teams that give up a fair bit. What type of an adjustment would it be for him to go and play behind a Washington team um, if he's even interested in, in changing cities at this point, given family issues, you know, not issues, but family situation and how important that is to him. Like we talked about it with the Leafs as much as Jack Campbell's numbers graded out lower because they were, you know, in part a product of defensive environment, not everybody can play well behind that type of team. And Flurry hasn't had to for so long because Vegas did give up a lot. Chicago's giving up a lot. So it's not necessarily as simple as plug Marc-Andre Fleury into a great defensive team in Washington and you could win a cup because he's going to have to adjust, you know, his focus and the way he prepares for games and what his expectations are of being busy and, and staying sort of on top of things when you're not busy, when you're not facing a lot of those chances. So it's interesting because those are the two teams that jump out the most to me. I know people talk Colorado. Uh, I think Kemper's starting to find his groove there. It's taken a while. The name that I had going into the season that everybody had forgotten about is also starting to dart up the charts in terms of his numbers relative to expected, and that's Pavel Francouz. And I think their faith in Francouz may be one of the reasons that Colorado ultimately doesn't do anything on the goaltending front. Uh, just for the record, I, I expect Flurry to be in another uniform in, in seven weeks. You do as well? Well, I mean... See, you would know better than me, Nick, to be honest with you. Like, you have those connections, and, and the, the one question I haven't been able to, and we're not in an era where we get to go into the locker rooms anymore when teams come through town. So you know, I got to chat technique with Flurry when he was through here earlier, but, you know, you don't get to sidle up in the locker room and have that conversation about would you, you know, would moving the family be something you'd consider? And so I haven't asked him. And yeah. I think ultimately, like, if you know Flower, you know that, 
you know, fun. I, I don't want, it's not even, it's not, not the right word for family situation, but that peace of mind, like when you watch him, he's the only guy in the entire league that when he starts a game, he plays what we call last puck, you know, where they, everybody gathers around the net and tries to like, that's always the backup's job, but flurry does it like having fun. That smile we've all come to know is a massive part of his success. Like it's important to him. I've had this conversation. And so I, if his family wasn't with him, if that wasn't a move they were willing to make, you know, I wonder if you get the best Marc-Andre Fleury, if he's there alone and, and doesn't have that support structure and, and that part of his life around him. So I think it's a decision that probably goes beyond hockey for those reasons. And, you know, not something I've had a chance to, you know, frankly ask him and wouldn't want to put those words in his mouth. Yeah. Excellent points. Now, yeah, now a different one, a guy that will not move the trade deadline, but in the off season, because a few years ago, when St. Louis was struggling, next guy up was Billy Huso, and that's why Jordan Bennington, they couldn't find a spot for him and then in the, in the minors, and then they found a spot for him in the NHL. Huso now, a couple of years better late than ever, is killing it statistically, and he is a UFA at the end of the season. And, I'm, you know, if you're going to take a run at Billy Huso, what are you going to get? Well, I mean, okay, for two things, I, like if you're going to take a run at him, it's probably in the offseason, right? Because I don't think they would have given him up. absolutely, absolutely. Unless they can't move him. Um, you know, I haven't, I'll be honest with you, I don't like to talk out of my butt, and I haven't done, like, extensive breakdowns on Billy Huso. When I watched him play against, you know, here in Vancouver and against the Canucks, uh, as he was kind of claiming that net from Jordan Bennington and raising a lot of eyebrows in doing so, um, I actually saw a goalie who mirrored a lot of what Bennington does well, like narrow stance, compact, moves efficiently, maybe not quite to a UC Soros level, um, but, you know, doesn't get himself spread out and locked in too low and wide too soon in plays, which always gives himself a chance. Like, he's always sort of keeps his edges underneath him, and mobility has become so incredibly important as the game uh, becomes so east-west from attacking perspective. Goalies, you know, and this is one thing Matt Murray's had to change, and it's been a process for him. Like, he won two cups locked in low and wide, and you just can't even play that way anymore. And so Huso's really good at sort of – you almost see it in their setup. Like if you were to see setting up on a face-off, Huso and Vinny can put them side by side, I think you'd see similarities. And so he's obviously on a heater. His numbers adjusted save percentage are the only one in the league, smaller sample, but the only ones who are better than Igor Shosterkin, which is saying something. Um, interesting to me in that conversation because when he started here and when I put it out on Twitter that he started here, like I had a lot of Blues fans up in my mentions just ripping on Jordan Bennington. And I thought it was interesting because at the time, and he took, he took a hit in his last game, the, the game against Calgary, but at the time, like his adjusted numbers were like 11th in the league. Like he was still playing at a very, very high level, maybe not quite as well as Huso, but like his numbers at the time were like, better than guys who were getting Vesna buzz. They were, his adjusted numbers were better than Freddie Anderson. You know, they're better than Thatcher Demko. They were really good. And that whole market seemed ready to just throw them out. Um, I think the narrative that needs to change around the blues is how they defend. Cause ever since they won a cup, like Jordan Bennington's expected save percentage is 870 right now. It's one of the lowest in the entire national hockey league. And so his raw numbers don't look as good. It's easy to criticize them, but a large part of that. Well, it's twofold. One, we don't see, like we we can sort of see that they don't defend well, even though the narrative is they're they're a good defensive team. And two, Huso's playing behind the same environment and behind the same team, so we assume he's got the same numbers. Well, his expected save percentage is 15 points higher. So again, you know, you're not comparing apples to apples when you compare two goalies behind the same team whether it's how a team plays for a guy, and that'll be a question that comes up in St. Louis, just you know, given the personality of Jordan Bennington, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Um, sometimes it's just the starts they get, right? Like Huso went Seattle struggling to score, and then he gets the next start against Vancouver, who was missing their top three scores. I think it was Horvat, Garland, and JT Miller all out on protocol. And then Jordan Bennington gets the, re- the Flames coming off a loss and pissed off. Um, and they actually generated the first time we've seen all season on the second end of back-to-back against the Blues, seven expected goals. Like, yeah, he gave up seven, but they generated seven. Like, so that can really change the numbers. It's, sometimes it's not how a team plays in front of a guy. It's just even the starts they get. And it's interesting to note that as all the criticism ramps up on Bennington, you know, his numbers haven't been that bad. They've been among the better ones in the league. Husos are just that much better. 
And now instead of getting the starts that help you build confidence as a number one, Bennington seems to be getting the crap sandwiches that are normally reserved for the backup. Uh, Kevin, can, can I assume that you saw the game-winning goal uh, in Ottawa by Stutzel? On, on I did. Yes, I, did. I, I did. I do some radio in Edmonton, and so let's let's just say I've uh, I've heard all about that one, and I okay. did have a look. All right. So, um, to to suggest it was a, a sharp angle, I think, is an understatement. Uh, he's like five feet off the goal line, and Koskinen, who's six seven, is down on his knees. And for the life of me, I don't understand why a guy six foot seven would give up the size and give up a ton of room short side above his shoulder and Stutzel hit it, but I'm, I'm just watching this going. I, I don't know, man. I, I know. I know. I, I know. I, I don't get 2022 goaltending. If that guy wants to go down on his knees that early. Yeah. And so, I'm not going to give him a pass on this one. Like as much as I have the goalie union card and I always fear that they're going to come take it out of my pocket. Every time I criticize a goaltender publicly, um, I'm not going to give him a pass on that one. But I do think as you watch the play develop and, and the position that Miko uses on the play, and this is why he's so deep on his goal line. Like it's one thing to be on your knees, but if he's challenging and cutting that down, even by a couple of feet, that hole that Stutzla hits is that much smaller. And the reason that Miko's on his goal line is because if you watch the play develop and Stutzler sort of comes downhill, he actually gets below the bottom of the right face-off circle to, to Koskinen's right. Now, the technique Koskinen uses calls reverse VH. And it's, you know, everybody loses their minds every time a goal goes in on that. And then the hashtag is always RVH fail, reverse VH fail. I prefer to think of it as a failed RVH. And it's usually failure in execution or failure in choosing that as a safe selection. And I, I think it's a safe selection that is better suited on plays coming from below the goal line up into sharp angles or just straight dead angle shots. I don't love it when it's used on sort of rush plays coming downhill like that. And I think that's what got him into trouble. But if you look, Stutzel actually gets that puck below the bottom of the circle. And that is a zone where some coaches and some goalies we'll say, okay, boom, I'm into my RVH there. It's a sharp angle attack. Now what happens is Stutzla, as a skilled offensive player, sort of toe drags that thing back up above sort of that plane, that bottom of the circle line, and closer to the net. And because there's no defensive pressure and it's three on three, he's got his head up the whole way, and he picks that spot. He takes what looked might become a sharp angle play and turns it into more of a straight-on shot. And so your error, if you're Koskinen, might be in going early into an RVH because you're anticipating a sharp angle net drive. And maybe part of that is you're trusting your defenseman to not allow him to pull that thing back up into a better shooting position. Part of it also, guys, might be fatigue at the end of a long game and five-on-five, in which he made some pretty tough saves in the the three-on-three, sorry. Um, So... You take a six foot seven goaltender. Once he commits down, though, Nick, and into that RVH, Stutzler's got his head up the whole way and he's looking. I know it sucks to see a goalie sitting like that and sitting in it and then get beat. Um, but it's also a really like the the one thing about the size of Miko Koskinen is if he once that angle changes and once Stutzler pulls it out, if he starts to get back up, um, that's the thing about big goalies to move it opens big holes. It's a chore. And so sometimes, yeah, by staying down in that, you force Stutzle to hit his spot, and he did, and it looks terrible. But I'd almost argue that if Miko starts to pop back up once he realizes that's no longer a sharp angle shot and Stutzle's got his head up and he rips that between his legs five hole because that weight transfer, because that movement off the goal line opens up those holes, we're probably ripping him even more. And so the mistake was probably going into reverse VH as early as he did. Maybe if you hold your edge against the post, you give yourself a chance to move forward quickly before dropping into a butterfly. Because at that zone in that reaction, like there isn't any reaction time. Like you're not reacting to the shot. You're trying to react to the play and put yourself in a position to use your frame to sort of take away what he has to shoot at. And so maybe if he's not down early, he can push out in a butterfly but I think it's the commitment to reverse VH that costs him there. And again, if you rewind the play, 
It looked for maybe, again, not long enough to commit to it, but it looked like that was going to be a sharp angle play. The mistake was committing it to it too early, in my opinion, and credit to Stutzla for changing that angle, pulling it back up, which is a skilled play on its own, a little bit of a sort of toe drag as he comes back up into the zone, changing the angle and having his head up the whole way with no pressure on him. Kevin, one more before I let you go, and this is uh, based on last night's hockey game with uh, the New Jersey Devils. We saw a goaltender last night, uh, Akira Schmid, if I pronounce that correctly, who played all of last season in the USHL. And I know the circumstances and the pandemic and all of that, but I'm watching last night, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, this, this guy looks more like a Zamboni driver than he does an NHL goaltender. And just the pressure of, of a guy that isn't ready yet thrust into uh, seeing world-class talent like Austin Matthews, that, that can't be a good feeling and, and what it could do to someone's confidence. Full disclosure, I didn't like uh, when I knew I was going to be on with you guys. I went and looked through the the Jack Campbell stuff and used ClearSight to sort of sort through the shots and and stuff. But I didn't get a chance to watch the game live. The day job dictated that I watched the Canucks game, so I didn't get a chance to see Akira, who's by all accounts a pretty good prospect. Um, So I don't want to want to make that comparison to a Zamboni driver. Um, But yeah, like he's just not ready. 105 NHL goal, like 105 goalies have played in the NHL yeah. this season. The record was 98 last year. The average was in the low 90s until the pandemic. Like there are certainly some guys that are being put in situations prematurely. Um, you know, even even though he had success, uh, Uko Pekalukan in Buffalo. Like I'm pretty sure they did not want him in the NHL this year. And now, now he's he's one of the guys that has handled it until the injury. Um, but it has put some guys in situations where they're, that they might just not be ready for. I would suggest that the Devils defensively, um, and, and it is not pretty, um, they give up a lot of great A's, is an even worse situation. And, and you double that when it is, you know, Matthews and Marner and Nylander and players of that ilk and Morgan Riley coming down on you. Um, but there's been other cases like he'll be better for the opportunity, I hope. I mean, look at last year. Stuart Skinner got into a game with the Edmonton Oilers against the Ottawa Senators because of the pandemic. He wasn't ready. He won the game, but it was 8-5. to five. A lot of guys probably could have won that game, and I think he realized it quickly after. He recognized in that moment, he was down in the minors like the next day or two days later, but he came off the ice, and him and the goalie coach looked at each other, and the first thing was a congratulations. You just won your first NHL start in your hometown, even though there were no fans. Kind of a big deal. But the next sentence literally was, man, I've got a lot of work to do to play at this level. And you look at Skinner, goes back to the AHL, his numbers bump up significantly, and he's sort of tracked on that path. And so if you can get through the pain of the short term of being in over your head and you can embrace it the right way, there are lessons that you can pay forward. Uh, Maybe a year from now we see Akira Schmidt, and he's that much better for having had this opportunity, as hard as it is now, and hopefully learn from it rather than having his confidence shattered by it. And we've seen other guys amongst those 105, Spencer Martin here in Vancouver, right? Like, you know, seven years in as a pro, last couple of seasons he's made changes in Tampa Bay, changed his depth, changes when he got to Vancouver here this year, changed his stance and his setup, and he employed a three-stance system, goes from fifth on the Canucks depth chart to starting three games of four, and he goes 1-0-2 with a 9.58. So, um, for every Akira Schmidt who might be in over his head, there are other guys. Uh, Charlie Lindgren with the St. Louis Blues. He never even got into a game as the depth guy with the Montreal Canadiens last year for all the goalies they used. And he comes in this year and goes 5-0 and with a 9.58. Again, a new organization, new voices. As you gather that experience as a goaltender, sometimes it's a new concept, a new coach, a new approach that just something clicks and you become – or at least you give yourself the option of maybe not being the next Jordan Bennington, but maybe following at least along that path in terms of establishing yourself late. And I think we have seen, as much as you saw the bad end of it last night, we've seen other guys, Baku Kali jumps to mind as well, that have made the most of a tough situation and showed that maybe they deserve more opportunity in the future. Yeah, that's just me being a bit of a smart ass, but Gord Stellick brings that out out of me, Kevin. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we we hope we hope there's not a psychological damage staring down the barrel of uh, Austin Matthews' wrist shot. Uh, really appreciate your time, man. 
Great stuff. Uh, we, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Have a great rest of your day. Kevin Woodley, writer of the NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. It knows his stuff. Yes. I've heard him before. Yeah. Knows his stuff. He's made it the, the science of goaltending. Who's, uh, have we got uh, the starters, uh, Sammy, for tonight's game? Sammy, you get on that. And in the meantime, we're going to take a break. John Michael Lyles, former Leaf and Avalanche, is going to join us after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born. Back after the break. Time to talk about the hottest team in the NHL right now. Should we be all that surprised that we're talking about Colorado and the Avs? Well, third year in a row, though, for a lot of people, about them being the hottest team in the NHL. Exciting team. John Michael Isles now joins us, former Leaf and Avalanche, covers the Avs for Altitude TV. John, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? We're well. Uh, a lot more fun covering the games when uh, you're, what, 15-1? and one? Is that... Is that the uh, the number for the month? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it is that, and um, yeah, I think uh, eighteen straight home wins, and I think they haven't lost at home since uh, I believe it's November second or third. So um, yeah, given given the fans here in Colorado a lot to enjoy, especially at Ball Arena lately. So about lessons in the playoffs, and certainly in Toronto, bitter pill to swallow. A lot of other teams had bitter pills to swallow the way the playoffs ended. And if they look back, a, a learning lesson, a series, they appeared to have um, the edge and then didn't. What do you think they gleaned from that? Well, I mean, listen, I, I was fortunate enough to play in the league for a good amount of time. And, um, you know, w- winning in the playoffs, it's, uh, you know, it, it, you have to learn. Um, you have to learn how to win in the playoffs. And um, just because you have regular season success or you win the President's Trophy doesn't necessarily mean you're you're walking into the Stanley Cup final. And, um, yeah, last year losing in the second round to Vegas the way they did, I think, was, uh, you know, a really tough pill to swallow. But um, I, I've said this on a, a number of places. I kind of look at uh, the Avs last year as maybe like uh, Tampa Bay Lightning um, was, you know, about four years ago getting swept by Columbus and, you know, maybe realizing, uh, you know, some of the pieces they need to add going forward. And, and Tampa added Coleman and Gaudreau and um, and Maroon and guys like that and a couple guys on the back end. And it wouldn't shock me to see the Avs kind of uh, do something similar here um, going forward. I think that uh, there's a lot of great pieces in place, um, you know, when McKinnon comes back and that top line with Landis Gog and Rantanen is, is um, you know, arguably, you know, top two or three lines in hockey, um, if not the uh, the top line in hockey. And Kale McCarr on a nightly basis and Devontae is what he's brought, um, you know, on, on that first pair. And then Nazem Kadri having the year that he's having. And there's just a lot to like about all the pieces they have. They've got some young guys that have really stepped up. And if they can add some, um, you know, maybe some physicality and some, some depth scoring and, um, you know, one or two pieces, maybe uh, deeper down on the back end. I think they, they could be in a really good spot going into the playoffs, especially having learned some valuable lessons last year. Well, you just mentioned a few things that are coming together, but is there one thing in particular uh, why it's now coming into play? Is it uh, is it just the health of the club? Is it goaltending? What stands out the most to you with this last uh, run of uh, four or five weeks? Well, I think they're getting contributions from, from all over the lineup. Um, you know, even, I mean, Curtis McDermott scored against Boston the other night. Um, you know, things like that. I, I mean, they're getting contributions. You know, Alex Newhook has 10 goals on the season. And, um, you know, JT Comfer had a, had a Gordie Howe hat-trick in Chicago the other night that seemed to spark the team a little bit. Um, they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. Darcy Kemper and, and Pavel Francouz are, are playing, uh, you know, as well as any two goalies in the league right now. When you look at, uh, you know, you look at the, their run of games here in the last, you know, month or two. Uh, I, I just think they're getting contributions from all over. And, and when you look at Nathan McKinnon, who's still having a, a tremendous year, but probably a little bit of a subpar year from his standards. Uh, you know, Gabe Landeskog having the best year of his career, Nazem Kadri having the best year of his career. I mean, they just, 
they, uh, they're, they're so tough to, um, to pin down because they do have that ability to, to score from so many different ways. You know, um, Cam McCarr, I mean, 18 goals. I, I mean, just watching him, what he does on a nightly basis with the puck, without the puck, I, I think, um, you know, that's the biggest thing I've been able to take away from it is just they, they're so dangerous up and down the lineup. And uh, there hasn't been a panic. They've been down in a number of games. And, yeah, they probably maybe should have lost one or two of those games. But they've found ways to, you know, to at least get back to overtime or, or into a shootout or even, you know, win it in regulation. And that's been really impressive as well. So, obviously, we're in Toronto. So, if it's if Colorado's going to be the Stanley Cup final, the dream would, would be the Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche. And I, I do remember... I'm still thawing out from the outdoor classic at the big house in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but that was the day you got traded to the Carolina Hurricanes. And I, I'm just, when you look back at your time with the Toronto Maple Leafs, how, how do you look back at your Leaf stop? Well, you know what? I still have a lot of great memories in, uh, from Toronto and, and the guys that I played with and the people that, uh, you know, I was able to uh, interact with within the Leafs organization. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got traded at the Winter Classic right after warm-ups. And uh, still remember, um, it, it's funny. Uh, um, Jim Hughes was was one of the guys that I rode in the equipment truck with um, uh, to uh, to the airport to fly to, to Carolina. And uh, it was funny because I saw him actually a couple of years ago, and he brought that up. And then obviously he's got you know the, his his boys are, are doing some amazing things in the NHL. And um, yeah, it, you know what? I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Toronto. It was, it was really great to start when we were, um, you know, doing well and winning and, um, you know, had a couple of concussions and, you know, obviously it wasn't how I would have liked to have finished my last couple of years, but you know, when, um, when you get a chance to play in Toronto, put on that Jersey, um, you know, play in front of those fans, it was definitely a special, you know, two plus years of my life. John, you also got to spend some time with Naz Kadri, and you get to watch him now on a nightly basis. I mean, come on, man. You didn't see that coming. No, nobody saw top five scoring uh, coming. Uh, what, what is it? What's, what's taking him to another level in, in your mind? Well, I, I think there's a lot of different factors. I mean, you know, Naz, um, you know, probably – with how things ended last year and, you know, him being suspended for that, uh, that series, I'm sure was, was a tough pill to swallow for him. Um, you know, sometimes when you have something like that happen, it, you know, it, uh, it kind of gives you a little kick in the butt for next season. And, and um, you know what, he's done a, a fantastic job of filling in when McKinnon's been hurt. You know, he had an injury earlier in the year, obviously he's out right now with a facial, facial injury and concussion. And, um, Nas has done a great job of filling in between Landis, Gog, and Rantan, but also doing a, a fantastic job of coming in as that second-line center and, and really giving them that depth scoring that they so desperately need on the second line. And he's done a really great job on the power play. You know, their power play has picked up of late. And, uh, you know, Nas in the bumper, um, you know, being just versatile because uh, he can play the half wall if need be. He can go to the front of the net. He's getting to the dirty areas. And, um, you know, I've seen it in a few games this year where he's had a chance to really line somebody up. And, and uh, you know, given his history, maybe he lets up just a little bit so that it's not, a, a you know, a borderline, uh, a borderline hit. And, and, you know, he's rubbing guys out instead of absolutely crushing guys. And Nas has that, you know, has that potential. He's got such great timing with his hitting. Um, yes, now, you know, now the hits are, are definitely under more scrutiny than when I first came in the league or when he first came in the league with, with me in Toronto. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's always had that timing and then been, had that ability to hit guys. It's just, you know, sometimes it's been on the edge and, and, and gone, you know, and crossed the line. But Nas is, uh, he's having a heck of a year. He's a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know what? I couldn't be happier for him. So, John Michael, the next whatever number of weeks, almost seven weeks, the trade deadline is the sexy thing as far as fans or the hope they can <laughs> add the ingredient or two for their team. Sometimes when you're a really good team, you can, you can add too many players. You can create a problem if you, don't, if you don't make the right kind of move. So if the Avalanche are looking to tweak, some people wonder about depth in goal or going big in goal or, or what. Mm -hmm. where, where do you look that they may look to tweak? Well, I think the go big in goal is obviously the sexy talk for the Avs. Um, you know, Darcy Kemper has played well, Francois has played well. And, um, you know, that's, that's above my pay grade. Those are, those guys get paid a lot more than I do, um, to, to make those decisions. If you want to try and, uh, do something in that, 
Um, but like you said, sometimes that can that can backfire and upset team, team chemistry a little bit. If I'm the Avs, I think, like I said earlier, you know, you're trying to, I don't want to say take that blueprint of, of Tampa, but, um, you know, maybe look to that and, and, and add, in, a, in you know, one or two ways in that direction. If you can get a fifth, sixth defenseman that's, you know, that's big, tough, strong, somebody that doesn't have to play 20-some-odd minutes a night but can give you, you know, 8 to 12 to 14 minutes and, um, you know, be a really physical presence because aside from, you know, Curtis McDermott, there's, you know, the, the physicality on the back end isn't what they're known for. And so if you can add one or two pieces there, get a little bit more defensive depth, and then somebody second, third line, um, you know, that adds, that, that adds uh, some more physicality and, and potentially some scoring. Um, you know, I always look at the Blake Coleman and the Barkley Gaudreau and guys like that, guys that are so valuable in the playoffs. And, you know, when they were on that line with Yanni Gord, they were just always so tough to handle for other teams, third lines or top lines or whoever they played against. And uh, if the Avs can get something like that where they've got good chemistry and, and uh, you know, add, uh, add to the depth of this team, I think it makes a lot of sense for them going forward. We're joined by John Michael Lyles, former Leaf and Av, covering uh, for Altitude TV. We're watching Kale McCarr from afar, and we know how special we, – we know he's special, but maybe because you've watched him closer than, than most – uh, how special is he? Oh, he is. He is uh, as special as I've seen in the NHL, and um, it, it's really, really fun to watch. Every time he gets the puck on his stick, and even when he has a, you know, a game that would uh, probably be categorized as bad in his book, uh, he still finds a way to make an impact. And you know, I just look at he came in. His skating is what sets him apart. But um, just the way that uh, that he can control the game, not only with his skating now, but with his passing, um, he's more physical than people realize, and, and you know he doesn't let that loose a lot. But there's times where he can, uh, you know, he can, you know, seems like he gets a little bit uh, a little bit of anger in him, and, and he'll give a, a, a really good, well-timed hit, and he does it, you know, regularly, and it's it's, it's extremely impressive, and. The other thing I look at too is just how effective his wrist shot is from the point. Um, it, it's it's hard. It's accurate. He gets it by players, um, and maybe that was something that people overlooked a little bit, just given how great of a skater he is and how he seems to find himself up in the play all the time. But his release from the point it, it rarely gets blocked by that first um, that first defender. And as a defenseman, that's such a valuable tool, especially with the amount of velocity he's able to get on it. You know, it's interesting. Two of the better general managers have been uh, Steve Eiserman and Joe Sackick handling the cap. And I know it gets tighter each year, but um, McKinnon's a bonus, his contract, the way it is right now. What's their window for keeping everybody? Is this it or do they have one more year? What do you figure? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. We'd, uh, we, we've we discussed this a number of times and, you know, the McKinnon contract right now is absolutely a bargain for, for what he brings. And, um, you know, people are talking about his Nazem Kadri pricing himself out of Colorado, and, and that very well may be the case. Um, but, you know, it's also a pretty pretty great uh, place to live and a great team that you're on, and you, you kind of know what you're getting. So um, it wouldn't shock me if maybe he, uh, he you know, if Joe Sackett finds a way to, to keep Nas after this year. We'll see. Um, I, I always said, like I've said since last year, it's a win-now window. And so if you have to give up prospects or picks, um, I, I just think that it's a win-now window with what you have in McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen and um, Makar with where he is. I mean, Devon Taves is on a bargain deal right now as, as, you know, as, as their top-pairing defenseman just making just over $4 million. Uh, I mean, you know, these are, these are things that, you know, if I'm looking at it, I'm saying this is a win-now window for the Avalanche. And uh, I always look at, you know, Joe, Joe had Pierre Lacroix as, as the general manager. I, I had him too. But, you know, Joe won two cups with, with Pierre. And, um, I mean, nobody made bigger deals than Pierre Lacroix. So it'll really, it'll really be interesting to see how, how Joe approaches this deadline. One more game, I believe, for the Avs before the All-Star break. I think that goes tonight against Arizona. Um, John, Michael, Lyles, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Um, Avs would have to budget $13 million for McKinnon. 
Yeah, well, you know, you think a couple of years ago, they were able to take Devin Taves off the Islanders' hand. They could they could take guys and say, okay, we got the cap space, we got the cap space. So McKinnon, you're right, they faced the challenges the Leafs did with Marner and Matthews. And, yeah, it, it gets uh, – he's there. I mean, it's Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And I would believe that Kadri knows this is his last run with Colorado, and he'll be somewhere else because they can't go – Six, six and a half when you know that you got to commit 13 to McKinnon and you got Rantanen and Landis Cog, McCarr at nine and a half next year, I think. It's just it's a yeah. foregone conclusion. This is uh, his farewell tour with well, the Avs. He hopes it includes a Stanley Cup. Well, we talked earlier to Darcy Tucker and we talked about Gary Roberts. Naz has that. They miss his edge. Oh, they, you know, they, they miss him going over, losing his edge. Well. No, you know, and he did it last year with Colorado, and now, so... They just ran out of patience. You know, I look at him. it, you know, I, I know everybody wants to win a Stanley Cup, uh, obviously, but I'm looking at a team like Seattle that needs some edge. You know, they need a, I, I, I'm, you know, they need a personality on and off the ice. He's good that way. I'm, there might be zero fit there, zero interest either way. I don't know what Seattle's doing, to be honest with you. I, well, I, I, nobody I, knows. That's the problem. I, I, They need edge. Their coach needs edge. Uh, they need edge. They're, they mirror I'm their coach's sure they, personality. I'm not sure they picked the right coach well, to start. I know. It's kind of like, anyway, I'm not going to pick other coaches. Well, it's kind of like when Jacques Martin, who's a great coach, but when he was coaching Ottawa against Pat Quinn, right? You know, just kind of the team took on the personality of their coach in the playoffs when they needed a bit more edge. Sammy, we got starting goalies tonight. All right. Do you know, I don't have the, I don't have the, the, the devil's starting goalie, but I do have the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you guys know who it is? I would think it's Mrazek. Well, it got to be Jack Campbell. It's Jack Campbell. Yeah. It's Jack Campbell. He got pulled early enough that okay. it's his game. I, I, I'm i glad. Yeah. I am because I, I believe that uh, I, you've established something in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. This gives him a chance to rebound, come back, uh, reset, which should have been Mrazic's, uh start, now mm-hmm. belongs to your number one goaltender and your commitment to get his game back on track. And not piss him off by missing two games in a row, right? I mean, yeah. that would have been two in a row. And, let's the, just, and also, Sammy Kip says he's going to be so nervous at the All-Star game, man. You know, just got to, you know. Let's just hold it back. Uh, you beat me to the joke. I was okay, going to say. You don't I, want him going into the All-Star game with low I gotta watch. Low I got to watch this All-Star game. I see zero stress in the All-Star game. Oh Every God. Everything about yeah. it. I see, I see too little stress. I, I will say. I, I The worst for goalies. I agree the worst with you. For goalies. I it's, do agree with Gordo. But I also think that Kipper is right in the fact that it just stinks out there's loud for goalies. No there's no upside. Fun. What's the fun? There's you no one upside save? to be no. a goaltender in the NHL yeah. All-Star game where everybody's flying around and doing these 360s and the the Michigan. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, Put when, up a Tudor shooter. Well, Markstrom's <laughs> a shooter. Calgary's the smartest. They don't, they're not sending Markstrom. Well, Anyway, I, I don't really care because I don't watch it. I uh, cease to watch it. I mean, I'm watching it highly. Really, there, seriously. my whole point. I do, I do love the skills comp. I will watch the skills comp, but I, don't, yeah, I won't watch it. Yeah, year. Like, I like the skills comp. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. You I think like, there's a good yeah. Dateline episode of 2020. What? You guys uh, are old guys. Yeah. Come on. We're trying, a little cheese. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. A little, it is cheese. A little cheese. And it's Vegas. Yeah. It'll only get cheesier. Yeah. I just think they need to go back to the traditional things. The, uh, the the fastest skater around the ice, the targets, the hardest shot. Yeah. You don't need to you don't need to need to reinvent the wheel every year. Just it's a great event thing. when it's in your city. I've never it's been. a fun event. Like, like Two thousand game. Yeah, it was every, great. The weekend here the was great. Yeah, yeah. We're going to the outdoor game yeah. in March for yeah, we are. Five the fan, which is exciting. It's correct at Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons Field. Field. You kind of want to come, Kippy? Uh, I think I'm um, I'm uh, sorting out my dra- uh, my sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> I could be conditioning my hair that night. I'll take it as a maybe. Yeah, well, Kippy's, uh, Kippy's a maybe, a yeah. maybe. Let's just hope tonight we see some some better hockey. Like the yeah. best hockey I saw last night was in a Sobeys commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what else can the Florida Panthers do though? I mean, Columbus, first of all, Columbus, they had a 4-0 lead against uh, Carolina, lost 7-4. They blew it to uh, – they've had some terrible losses of late. But what, what else could Florida do? That was awesome. 
Great matchup tonight, too. They're uh, playing no, in New York. Uh, against the Rangers. Uh, one mention game. for Mason Marchman. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh Come on. Please. Yeah. No. Former Leaf. I heard, yeah. I heard Malgan had a Hattie in Bruges last night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's... I, I will defend Kyle Dubas oh, yeah. a little bit here. I agree. And he, he got fed some bad info. I, I guarantee you. Somebody sold him hard on Malgan. Yeah. Which was, like, I don't know. At... What's Marchman? Six five, for a five foot nine guy. That that yeah. should have ended the conversation I, right there. I talked about this when it's because it's kind of been a conversation over the past couple of weeks. But I think there was a they probably had some information on what Marchman was going to develop into, and that was at the point where of sort of Kyle Dubas's development, where he was making trader trades for smaller guys when he was lining the bottom six with sort of smaller skilled guys, and that was a different sort of philosophy that he had for the I don't think Dubas makes that trade in 2022 is what I'm saying I don't think he makes that trade now I think he obviously Michael like, Louie no, would no, make that no, like trade that style of trade that style of trade I don't think he makes that style well, of trade he's past that he's past that. yeah he's on plan b yes because not trying to not trying to bring skill just small skill into the bottom he's he's got bigger guys now in the bottom six I think it's as a, a former philosophy. general manager when you look at moves and trend uh trades and waivers and all of that like is it less about one particular trade and and more about well i got seven out of ten right or i got six out of nine right well it's every every move you make whatever it may be if it incrementally betters your team and more of those moves are positive and negative that's how everyone wants the home run now he did get zach hyman a trade from florida so that that was a good trade from a keg. But, yeah but this but this deal to kippy's point i'd like to be there about this is where you trust your pro scouting because there's no cap implications that are going to hurt either way. So did someone get really big? Well, must have liked Mulgan. Must yes. have, obviously. And then all of a sudden, and so you make the flip. And uh, no, I mean, and Marchman's not going to win a Hart Trophy, but this is this is a loss. I mean, he's going to contribute at the NHL level. And that's about your scouts that kind of project who can you bring in. That's where Bunting's a great example this this year as a as a UFA about who, whatever they projected. He's doing it and then some. And Kampf and... Kasha. Kasha. I, yeah. You know, those are those uh, money ball deals where mm -hmm. you, you scrape the bottom of the barrel on the price and you find some quality. But I love here, I'm not talking just Toronto, all 32 teams. Where's the story about the valued ear? And you said, how did they get that player? Well, Nick Kiprios is the guy, and he kind of said he's not working out well for him there. Like, I like move it on Philadelphia now. Philadelphia Vultures, if you're there, move in on Philadelphia now. If you got someone that you really value, thinks a diamond in the rough. Uh, we're out of time. Oh, Malgin, Malgin, 44 points in 40 games for Zurich. That was a oh. fast two hours. That was Kippy. And Gord, I, I know we're going to welcome back Justin Bourne tomorrow, but thank you so much for filling in. A tremendous job. We're going to send you back to AAA, that satellite radio that you do. Yeah. Um, keep up the good work, and we'll see if we can call you back up at another time. Are there parting gifts to get the home version of the show? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. Real Kipper and Bourne.